So I grew up in a pretty competitive household. I got two older brothers and a younger sister, and we were always playing games. My brother, older brother Nate, and I would play basketball in the driveway for hours on end. Even into the night, we'd drag out the floodlight and turn on the porch lights and just keep playing. And I remember one such night I was playing with my brother, and I was getting my butt handed to me. I mean, I was just getting beat. Bad. And I was getting kind of frustrated. His shots were falling from wherever he let them fly, and mine were not. I tried doubling down on defense. I even fouled him maliciously. And he still would score. He was better than me. And it was making me mad. He was just, my best efforts just weren't good enough to beat my brother at basketball. Well, I felt the anger start to rise this night. I felt the little rage monster grow and grow inside of me. I got my jaw started to clench. My muscles tightened. Before I even thought about it, my brother went up for a layup and I punched him right in the solar plex. Yeah, and he went down like a sack of potatoes, just hit the ground. Boom. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I win now. Yeah. Well, before I went on my victory lap, I decided to check in on my brother, and there he was on the ground still, face down, and, you know, I rolled him over. I was like, what's up, man? He wasn't breathing. I was like, breathe, Nate, breathe. Come on. And after about a minute of him not breathing and turning purple, I decided to go inside the house and yell for mom and dad, mom, dad, come quick, I think I killed Nate. Thankfully, my brother is still alive today. He survived this incident, and he graciously has forgiven me. But I'll never forget that night. I felt so bad. Like, how could I let the rage, the rage monster out like that and hurt my brother, who I love? That could get the most of us, the best of us, that anger, the bitterness, the envy. I was jealous. I was jealous of my brother and what he could accomplish. My question for you today is, have you ever let anger, bitterness, or envy get the best of you? Maybe make you do something that you regretted, that you wish you had not done. It can come on you really quick like it did uh, for me that night, or it can be like a leaky faucet and kind of just wear on you over time, where you let the slights that others commit against you build up and build the resentment and anger. It can happen at work where you got a coworker who disrespects you and you just about lose it. Or maybe you got a boss who overlooked you for a promotion or perhaps just doesn't really appreciate you and what you offer to the team, your gifts and talents and abilities. They don't acknowledge it. Or it can happen at school or on a sports team, you know, where you work your tail off trying to get better, and it's just you come in second place all the time, your grades just aren't as, bad as, the, as good as the next kid, and you get a little envious, they don't even seem like they're trying and they're better than me. What's the deal here? It can happen when you're, you know, looking at the Joneses in their life, and like, oh man, they're so beautiful, beautiful family, and they're healthy, and they're wealthy, and they take these really awesome vacations, yeah, and you know what's the worst part about the Joneses? They're great people. They're just wonderful. If only they were evil people, then it'd be easier to hate them. But it's like, oh, oh, they're even good. 
the anger and the bitterness, it can, it can come up in, uh, you know, when you're taking a family trip. And you're like, honey, this is our exit, this is our exit, this is our... They're like, no, 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 we've got to keep going. And you were right, of course. But this reminds you of the last time your spouse didn't listen to you, right? When you're trying to make a decision about that, you know, big ticket item for the, for the household, they just didn't listen to you. And then it reminds you of all those other times they didn't listen to you. And you're like, man, I'm glad I kept that record of wrongs. Yeah, this will hold up in a court of law, though. I got the evidence. And then you start plotting your revenge. How can I get even? Hmm. Oh, I know. I'll burn the toast. That'll really hurt. Or, ooh, I know, a biting, sarcastic remark right at the right moment. That'll really hurt. That'll get them. Or, ooh, this is the best. The silent treatment. Oh, man, my spouse hates that. I'll just withdraw affection and just isolate. That'll hurt. And some of you, no doubt, are sitting there going, you know, pastor must be talking about somebody else because, you know, this, that has never happened to me. Well, if that's you, repent. Because it has. And you are susceptible to it. So watch out. And it happened to the first human born in the natural way. Cain, same thing happened to him. I find it so interesting that the very first story after the fall into sin has to do with a family feud, sibling rivalry. That kind of hits a little too close to home, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the first story. So what do we know about these guys? Well, Cain's the firstborn, and he's a farmer, Probably the heir to the estate, you know, as the customs were back in the day. Adam probably was going to give Cain the land that God had given him. And you have Abel, the shepherd. And what's interesting about these two, like, archetypes, if you will, uh, the agrarian societies and herdsmen societies were at war with each other for millennia, which is interesting. What else do we know? Well, they both brought sacrifices uh, to God. Cain brought the first fruit of his crops, or brought some crops, and then Abel brought the first fruit of his, uh, the firstborn of his flock. God had regard for Abel's offering, and he did not have regard for Cain's offering, and this made Cain very, very angry. Very angry, the text says. And sad, his face was downcast. So this is what we know about the story. What we don't know is why they were making sacrifices. You know, was this something God had commanded them to do and we just don't know about it? Or was this just something natural that they did? I mean, we know from history, cultures all across the world throughout history make sacrifices. Perhaps it was just the result of the fall. You know, after the fall, man's work was going to be hard. And there was going to be privation. There was going to be, you know, floods and natural disasters and... Plagues and famines and pestilence and all sorts of things that would uh, deprive them of their livelihood. Adam and Eve apparently didn't have to deal with that, right? They didn't have to worry about tomorrow's bread. Uh, they had everything provided for them. But after the fall, you begin to appreciate your daily bread a little bit more. And so you make a sacrifice to God in thankfulness, like thank you for, for providing uh, for today. In more of an, a, a human way, we know that if we forgo momentary pleasure... Uh, we can reap a better reward later. You know, if we make sacrifices in the moment, we can have a better future. We sacrifice the things we value now in the hope of having a better future. Anybody uh, heard of the marshmallow test? Raise your hand. Marshmallow test, anybody? Yeah, a few of us. Oh, wow. 
Well, the uh, Stanford University did an experiment um, with marshmallows. They brought kids into a room, and they gave them a marshmallow and said, you can eat this marshmallow right now, or I'm going to leave for a little while and come back, and then I'll give you two if you don't eat it. So the researchers then would leave the room. They'd watch the kid, and the kid would just try as hard as he or she could to not eat that marshmallow, and it's hilarious to watch these videos, to watch these kids. They'll sit on their hands. You know, they'll look elsewhere. They'll hum a tune. This kid, you can see him sniffing the marshmallow, licking the marshmallow. And then other kids would just gobble it down as soon as the researcher left the room. And uh, if I were to be honest with you, I probably would have been the latter kid, uh, gobbling down that marshmallow. What the researchers found out later on in life, they'd follow the lives of these kids, and the kids who could forego or delay gratification scored higher in a whole bunch of different areas of life, from relationships to work to just personal well-being, delaying gratification. We sacrifice things we value in the hope of having a better future. So here we have Cain and Abel. They were both making sacrifices, offerings to God. Abel's was accepted by God. Cain's was not. And the text is not clear as to why Cain's offering was not accepted. We don't really know. Maybe Cain's offering was subpar. Maybe it was a really measly bushel of wheat. Or perhaps it was just God's divine counsel. You know, the hidden God kind of stuff. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Jacob I love, Esau I hate it. It's just the random nature. You know, you get your cards to play, your hand to play, and here it is. And that's true to reality, is it not? To, to life. Sometimes we suffer because our sacrifices are subpar. We're not putting in the effort. We're not going the extra mile, and we suffer as a consequence of it. But that doesn't stop us from whining and complaining about our lot in life, right? We'll still do, still do that. Or another response to this kind of suffering is, you know what? I am a failure. I'm undisciplined. I'm lazy. I'm dumb. I'm never going to amount to anything just like everybody told me. I should do better and be better, but I'm not. And we beat ourselves up, which is not all that helpful either. But then we might be making the right sacrifices. We might be, you know, living our life according to God's will and his ways and being kind and generous and just disaster hits us like a Mack truck through no fault of our own. We get the cancer diagnosis. We get canned because of corporate restructuring. The flood comes. The hurricane hits. The economy tanks. A, pandem a pandemic hits. We're like, oh, man, this stinks. We don't know what it was like for Cain. We don't know exactly why. I mean, there's a little hints of it, perhaps, in the text. But here's what God says to Cain. Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, we good Lutherans might read this text and be like, wait a second. That sounds like works righteousness. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Hmm. But what is the big difference between believing correctly and behaving correctly? Right? 
Or perhaps God is saying, you know what, doing good should be a reward in and of itself. And maybe Cain was guilty of making sacrifices in order to get something for himself. Bargaining with God. And, you know, we do that too sometimes. You know, like, yeah, all right, God, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to be nice to people. And, uh, but, but I expect you to come through for me on X, Y, or Z. And we kind of hold God to the fire like that. A quid pro quo kind of situation, right? Well, God gives Cain a gracious warning. You know, hey, Cain, what, this path you're headed down is not good for you. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, Cain. Sin's right there. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants to lure you. It wants to entice you. It wants to rule over you, catch you in its fangs and its jaws. Don't let it do that, Cain. But of course, we know the story. Cain succumbs to the temptation. You know, he broods on his misfortune. He gives himself over to anger, jealousy, bitterness, resentment. Ah, Abel. He's always been the favorite. He's, the women love him. The men want to be him. Ah! And he curses God. He curses life itself. And he does the unthinkable. Takes his brother's life. What is God saying to us today through this story? Do not let bitterness, envy, anger have a place in your heart. Confess it. Repent of it. What about Abel? Why was his sacrifice accepted? Well, the only other text in the Bible that we get to help us interpret it is Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Apparently, Abel's heart was in the right place. He gave his offering out of gratitude, out of humility. Probably he was walking humbly with God. And perhaps his offering was accompanied with a prayer more like the tax collector from our gospel text. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Perhaps Cain's offering came with a prayer like the Pharisee. who said, God, I'm so glad I'm not like these other sinners out there. But I make all the right sacrifices. Perhaps so. We don't really know. Abel's the hero of the story, right? He's the hero. He makes the right sacrifices, and yet he is defeated by Cain. He did the hard thing, doing that which is pleasing in God's sight. And yet he couldn't overcome human malevolence. You know, we humans, we're pretty resilient. We can usually handle those random catastrophes. You know, the cancer diagnosis, the natural disaster, the economic downturn. We can bounce back from those sorts of things. But what's harder to bounce back from is human malevolence. When somebody commits some evil against you. It's especially devastating when it happens to us from somebody that's supposed to love us and care about us. That's just devastating. Abel's the hero, but he couldn't overcome sin and evil. Nope, he lost. 
And it would take thousands of years for God's plan to, to reveal itself of his solution to sin and evil. And it finds its culminating story here in the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in every way Cain was. And yet he did not sin. Jesus could have been bitter and resentful about his lot in life. Like, really? I got to go take on human flesh and suffer? Uh, He could have been angry about that. He could have been angry when the opposition mounted against him. When he was trying to save the world and he's always getting his resistance, being called a blasphemer. Man, that had to hurt. He could have been resentful when his buddies, his friends, his disciples abandoned him and betrayed him. But no, he kept on marching in his mission, faithful to God, the Father. And then, finally, the question here, you know, if we make sacrifices in the present to, in the hopes of a a better future, it begs the question, what is the greatest sacrifice for the greatest possible good, the best future? We find the answer to that in the cross. Jesus made the greatest sacrifice of himself on the cross for the best possible future for you, me, and all of mankind. He gave his life that you and I might have forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and eternal life. That's the greatest sacrifice for the greatest possible good. And possibly, if you try to think of even a greater sacrifice, it would probably, like giving of oneself, laying down your life for other people and for the good of others, that's noble and meaningful. But even more than that, would be sacrificing your child for the greater good. And that's what the Father did for us. God the Father sent his son. He sacrificed his son for you and me so that we might have eternal life and forgiveness. And that, of course, is not the end of the story. If it were, then sin, death, and the devil would win, right? But we know how the story ends. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection tells us that good triumphs over evil, always. In the end, good will triumph over evil. The truth will win over lies. God wins in the end. Even if we should lose our lives or our livelihood, we know that in the end, we are victorious because Christ will raise the dead, vanquish evil, bring an end to pain and suffering. That's our hope as Christians. As for now, we're still in the world. We're still suffering. We still experience pain. And if you make the proper sacrifices in your life, you might be able to alleviate some of that pain and suffering for yourself and for others. But more painful than physical suffering is spiritual suffering. And that is a life lived apart from God. That is a living hell. And we got people all around us who are in a living hell. Life apart from God. And the person who wishes to alleviate that kind of suffering will make the greatest sacrifices of self, child, money, time, pleasure, comfort, to live a life aimed at God, aimed at the ultimate good, aimed at pursuing the truth, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And my prayer is that this 
church would be, would be filled with those kinds of people who make great sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom of God, to reach the lost, and to make disciples of Jesus. Amen.